Welcome into another episode of the Test Studio Times podcast, live from Birmingham, Alabama. I'm Sam Ostry alongside Ben Dixon. We are joined by the other men's men's basketball beat writer for Test Studio Times, Emmett Siegel. Fellas, how are you? We just got back from Legacy Arena, where Maryland took down West Virginia. We're going to get into the entire game. Maryland is on to the round of 32 to face Alabama. How are we feeling, guys? Doing great. Uh, big props to Legacy Arena. Great building. Definitely blew my expectations away. It, it was it was great. Felt felt brand new in there, even though it wasn't. And a uh, lot of fun. Great game. That's what March is all about. And uh, yeah, happy to be here. Happy to be in Birmingham, Alabama, for the NCAA tournament. Let's do it. Yeah, uh, great game we just witnessed. Great win for Maryland. Uh, awesome experience. Happy we made the trip, and uh, happy to be here to recap it. Yeah. So we're gonna talk all about it, and then we're gonna get into a full preview of the Alabama game coming up on Saturday. We don't have an exact time yet. But that game will be played some point Saturday afternoon. Let's talk about this Maryland-West Virginia game. I mean, we, we, ben, we talked about the keys the other day, and we talked about transition offense, transition defense, and, but we really talked about the physicality and rebounding and how important that was going to be um, in this, in this Maryland-West Virginia matchup. And in the beginning of the game, West Virginia's physicality was just dominating Maryland. They were getting offensive rebounds, putbacks. Maryland, Jameer Young, Maryland's guards didn't look like they could handle the physicality of the game. And Maryland, like it has done on the road so many times this season, even though this is technically a neutral site game, went down early. They were down 13-4. to Maryland couldn't buy a bucket. They, they looked, honestly, like the softer team out there. And they completely turned it around. What did you see early on that was that was going on that was Maryland wasn't working for Maryland, and then how they just completely shifted it? Yeah, kind of to your point. I think just the the physicality in that start. It wasn't that Maryland's defense was so bad. Like West Virginia was up, what was it? They were on an eleven zero run to take the lead, and then they went on a three minute scoring drought of their own, scored again, snapped that drought, and it turned into a fourteen zero run. Maryland's seven and a half minute scoring drought was the story, at least of the start of the first half. I know we'll get into you know, the back half of, of that comeback and ultimately taking the 32-30 lead at halftime. But that was the start of the story for me there, at least. Jameer Young, four turnovers. I think he had three turnovers in the first few minutes. Um, Don Carrier, had 2,000 in the first few minutes. He was really good today when he was on the floor. He's been really good lately. So that was tough there. And, um, you know, he, he's kind of developed, you know, that, that persona that people expected coming into the year where he'd be that three-point sniper. Um, he did it three threes today, but kind of him taking a seat on that bench early was was hurtful as well. Julian Reese, you know, he, I, I don't want to say overwhelmed with the physicality early because Jimmy Bell, uh, Jimmy Bell is his name, the West Virginia center, yeah. had a few fouls early. Um, but I, I just think from an overall physicality standpoint, Maryland kept turning the ball over. What Maryland had as many turnovers as made or as shots attempted, I think, by the under-12 timeout. I think it was six of each. Um, so it was just a, a nightmare start, and the, and the way Maryland turned it around was, I don't want to say shocking because we've seen Maryland turn it around, but the fact that Maryland was able to turn it around and then capitalize on that, even coming back multiple times in the second half, but just talking about that start there, um, it, it was impressive for sure. Yeah, I pretty much have to echo everything you just said. It was really the turnovers. They weren't shooting a terrible clip from the field, but uh, the turnovers were killing them. Like you said, Jameer Young had a bunch to start. Uh, three turnovers in the first eight possessions for him, five as a team. Um, you can't have that, especially in the NCAA tournament. It's pretty miraculous that they were able to turn it around there. Um, and, yeah, it's just what, kind of when they cleaned it up, um, you know, you saw that the shots were falling at a decent rate for them. Um, it was just that they weren't getting shots off, and West Virginia was getting shots off. When Maryland snapped its field goal drought, which was about eight and a half minutes, that was their eighth shot of the game, and West Virginia had taken 16 by that point. Um when you're getting half as many shots as your opponent, it's going to be hard to outscore them. That's an obvious fact. Um, and you saw that, and then once it kind of evened out, Maryland kind of took over the game, and they were playing a better offensive game than West Virginia from there on out. Yeah, that was so big that Maryland wasn't even attempting shots. I mean, they, they started the game shooting three for six from three, which is pretty good numbers for them. It's very good numbers, 50% from three for them. But they just weren't attempting a lot of shots because they couldn't even get into their offense. West Virginia was being so physical with Jameer Young, with Hakeem Hart, with anyone who's handling the ball. And it's not that they were pressing. I mean, we talked about this the other day that everyone associates Bob Huggins and West Virginia as press Virginia and this press-heavy team. They didn't do really any of that against Maryland. That just not hasn't been their identity this year and really for the past couple years. So that wasn't it wasn't the pressing that was getting to them. It was just immediately when they were getting to their sets. When Jameer Young was coming off a ball screen, they were blitzing the ball screens and being really physical with him. And it was really just tripping 
him up. He had to get into a little bit of rhythm. He sat on the bench for a few minutes, which I think probably helped him. It was a good call by Willard to, to have him go to the bench and calm him down a little bit. But he was just getting tripped up, and they weren't getting shots off. When your initiator of your offense is, is turning the ball over as much as he was, they weren't able to even get shots up. And that's really what hindered them in the beginning. Well, I think to your point about Jameer, we talked about this yesterday on, on the preview show. West Virginia, you know, you did it in your film review the keys to the game. You thought Jameer Young was going to be able to have a field day if they were so conservative on the defensive end with him. It didn't really seem like that early. A lot of doubles far away from the basket, really being physical with him, which has been the problem and kind of been the book out on Jameer recently. Yeah, well, that, real quick, just to cut you off, that's kind of like, that's the whole point of, of I guess, if we're going to have a Jameer conversation here is, is you know, West Virginia hat kind of plays soft coverage on their pick and rolls. What I saw on film a lot against Kansas, against Kansas State, against a lot of these teams that they were that they were playing in the Big Twelve, they were playing soft coverage on the pick and rolls, and that's what you saw on film. And you felt like, okay, Jameer Young may be able to take advantage of this, but they completely shifted their coverage, like Minnesota did in the Big Ten tournament, like you saw Indiana do mm-hmm. a lot of, where the, you know the book is out on him. Like you just said, you have to blitz Jameer Young on these screens. You have to put as much pressure as possible on him, and that's when he struggles, and that's why he struggled. In, these, in the postseason play. Yeah, let me just chime in real quick before we get to Emmett. But Jameer sitting on the bench there, um, yes, he needed that to your point. However, I think by the time he came back in the game, Maryland really needed him to come back in yeah. the game around that halfway point of the first half, either down 11 or 13. You know, Maryland wasn't going to win this game without Jameer Young. He obviously didn't have his best game. He was able to get to the line a bunch. What did he shoot? Seven for, seven, eight. Seven for eight from the free throw line tonight. So that was obviously, you know, his go-to there if, if, if shots weren't falling. But Maryland did need him to come back in the game at that point in time, especially when you have a guy like Don Carey who, who is two first half fouls. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll touch on it more later in the episode about moving forward for Jameer. But if Maryland's going to have a chance against Alabama, not even beat them, but just have a chance, be competitive with Alabama, you can't get the Jameer Young you've got in the last three games. you got to get the Jameer you had in February, in January, in December, um, the Jameer Young that was an All-Big Ten player, that was almost a first-team All-Big Ten player, one of the best transfers in the country, and just haven't seen that over the past couple games. Great players in March, they step up on the biggest stage, and they adjust. And Jameer, will have to see if he does that. Obviously, Alabama's going to be an incredible challenge. And like I said, we'll, we'll preview that later. Um, but West Virginia, they had his number today. Um, and I think it was pretty impressive that Maryland was able to kind of eke out a win in lieu of his struggles, um, and like we said, they were quite numerous. His struggles yeah, and, were. and he was in foul trouble too, which is pretty rare for him. He finished with four fouls, and, and he picked up that fourth one pretty early on, um, in or kind of midway through in this in that second half. So he had to take a, a seat on the bench for an extended period of time. Um, but Maryland went on a run even when he was on the bench. Uh, but he was in foul trouble, which is pretty rare for him. Let's talk about where this game turned. You know, it was thirteen to four. Obviously, West Virginia, and then Maryland made a little bit of a comeback. But it was really on the defensive end because they're all, like you said, it was eight minutes that they went, over eight minutes where they didn't score a basket the entire time. But on the flip side, West Virginia also went on like a three or four minute scoring draft. So it was really their defense that was so phenomenal. And it starts with shutting down Eric Stevenson, who's West Virginia's leading scorer. He finished with nine points, four for 17 from the field. Everything, every shot he get was just he got was a tough shot. Maryland gave him nothing easy. Hakeem Hart was the primary defender for much of the game on him, um, but they, they were throwing doubles at him. They, they were doing a lot to kind of shut down Eric Stevenson, and it was, it was impressive their game plan like they've done all year of shutting down other teams' best player, and, and they did the same with Eric Stevenson where they made him earn all his buckets. I mean, he's, he's a really good scorer where he, he a lot of his shots are fadeaways. They're kind of not typical shots that you would see from, from someone of his caliber, but the, he, they, Maryland does a good job or did a good job of forcing him into difficult shots, and that's why he shot 4 for 17 from the field. He's not a very efficient player, but Maryland kind of played to that and made sure that they were going to limit him. Yeah, I mean, not efficient at all. And I, look, Bob Huggins sat him for the majority of the, of the start of this, that second half before he came back in You know, for the home stretch there. Just a little context for that defensive uh, turnaround for Maryland in the first half. Maryland first forced four separate West Virginia scoring droughts of at least two minutes in the first half. It, it's been the story for this team where... You know, even though they've started slow, and Maryland's been able to get back in most of these games where they started slow. Obviously, this time was was the first where they won a game uh, of, of that kind. Where you look back at the Michigan State game where they fought back and lost at Purdue, fought back and lost. But nevertheless, Maryland for, forcing four separate West Virginia droughts of, of you know that length definitely kind of changed the tone there, and it, it allowed Maryland's offense to be much more free flowing, much more natural as a result. I think that we should also we talked about 
them not being able to get shots up, and that means he can't make shots. And when he makes shots, that means he can press. And we talked about West Virginia not really pressing as much as they have in past years this year. Maryland, with Kevin Willard, has proven that they like to bring that full-court pressure. When they started to make shots, they were able to apply a bit more of that kind of mix up the West Virginia offense, make them a little bit more uncomfortable. And I think that Stevenson might have struggled as a result. A lot of his shots seemed forced. A lot of them seemed like he was trying to shoot his way out of a slump. And unfortunately, in the NCAA tournament, in a game like that, you kind of end up shooting your team out of it. And, you know, they they were right there in it uh, in lieu of him. I think that it's kind of interesting that probably the two best offensive players, if you take one from each team, did not have very good games. And it was kind of lucky for Maryland that they caught with their best offensive player in Jameer having a bad game that they caught West Virginia's best offensive player having a bad game of his own. And, and it was interesting, though, because, Steven, like you said, Stevenson was completely benched. Like, he played two yeah. of those first ten minutes or so in that second half, and he wasn't in foul trouble. He was straight benched, and, like, I think it was just because of how inefficient he was, and he was kind of, like, stalling the offense, given that some of his shot selection was just really poor. Bob Huggins, in his first, this is Eric Stevenson's first and only, because his college career is done, NCAA tournament game, decided to bench him for an extended period of time, and it actually worked out because that's kind of when when West Virginia went on a little bit of run yeah no doubt but you know you look at Stevenson and and if you're West Virginia you're thanking God that he got that performance from Kadrian Johnson the point guard who had a career high 27 points I'm sure we'll get into his performance as well but kind of offset some of that inefficiency from you know Stevenson to have a career day like that and then a, a shot for the win as well but but we will get to that yeah and likewise Julian Reese really stepped up for Maryland kind of match that in a way and you kind of got these secondary players stepping up and rising their teams right to the end where either team could have won it. Yeah, so so let's let's talk about the second half. Maryland goes into halftime with a two point lead after what looked like or after what was a disastrous start and it looked like they were gonna fall behind early, but but like they've shown all season that they're not gonna quit. They're gonna keep paddling back even on the road, even on a neutral site. And so they go into to halftime with a two point lead. And then they're up, big, they're up a little big at halftime. I think it was, or not at halftime, start in the second half. They were up, I believe it was like 41 to 34 or something. And then West Virginia goes on this run. Um, when Kedron Johnson goes on a personal 10-0 run, two straight and ones, and then an and one three. Um, incredibly impressive performance left by him. Like you said, 27 points, finished 8 for 13 from the field, 4 for 8 from three, and perfect on his free throw, 7 for 7 from the line. But that performance from him was just that individual 10-0 run, he's single-handedly the only guy that brought him back in the game. But what did you see from Maryland after West Virginia took a 41-38 lead because of his run? What did you see from Maryland that kind of adjusted where they were able to shut him down for the most part in the latter part of the second half? Yeah, I mean, from not even 41-38 to 47-38, it was a 16-0 run. Maryland overcame a 14-0 run in the first half and a 16-0 run in the second and still won. We're talking different sequences if you put them together 30 straight points for West Virginia where Maryland just didn't have an answer and Maryland still won the game (laughs) unbelievable response this is probably the most drastic example of a game of runs I've seen in a long time no doubt on on the biggest stage too but you know adjustment wise I don't know if it was anything necessarily on Johnson obviously after that you know personal run he he hit a he hit another three to bring it to 47 38 and he kind of was a little cooled off for the rest of the game there but still a really efficient game eight for 13 eight for 12 if you take off that last minute attempt I think it was kind of just more of what we saw in the defensive end in the first half kind of translating in the second Maryland could not get a stop in that 16-0 run it wasn't like you know the first half 14-0 run where it just went on and it was more so that Maryland couldn't get a bucket and West Virginia had its own scoring drought of its own and still continued the run Maryland's offense just became more natural. Don Carey's corner three was really big at that moment in time, and then they just started feeding the big fella. Julian Reese got to work. He had 17 points. What, did 13 of them come in the second half, um, if I'm correct? And uh, he hit a bunch of rebounds in the second half as well. three blocks. Three Three blocks blocks was maybe the most important and key stat from him. Yeah, he was he was great. I, I think especially when, when when you know they were making that run with Jameer on the bench, which is even more you know not important but impressive in in that time period. Um, the the fact that Julian Reese, I think he was kind of emerging into a star in front of you know not only our our eyes because we've seen him improve, we've seen him get better game by game these past couple months or so since that shoulder injury. But for him to do that on the national landscape, especially with your best player on the bench, I think not enough can be said about his performance offensively and defensively. Those blocks were big, too, and then he had a few big offensive rebounds as well. And, and real quick, a big part of that is because Jimmy Bell was in foul trouble. No doubt. I mean, he's a really good post defender. West Virginia as a whole are pretty good um, at playing post defense. But Jimmy Bell was in foul trouble, and when he was out of the game, Maryland was just, I mean, Julian Reese was taking advantage. 
advantage of West Virginia's lack of size, to be honest with you. I mean, West Virginia's still a physical group. They still love to crash the boards, no matter no matter what lineup they have in the game. But Julian Reese feeding him that in the post, and he said it after the game. He was like, I felt like I had a matchup advantage. I felt like I want I I felt like the ball kept coming to me more, and that was designed because he had a, Jimmy Bell was out of the game, and that's West Virginia's primary post defender. That's the guy that was guarding Julian Reese to start the game. And when he's out of the game, Maryland had a complete mismatch, and Julian Reese was able to go to work, and he was incredibly effective. And he, this might have been his, his best game that we've seen from him, given the, given the circumstance mm-hmm. and given kind of the, the platform that it was on. I mean, this was the first game of the NCAA tournament. Everybody's eyes were on this game. People who've never watched Julian Reese play once in their lives were watching Julian Reese today. I think that uh, me, me and Ben both said the same thing, coincidentally, when we said that today's performance from Julian Reese, and kind of referring specifically to that dunk he had, where he landed on the guy. It, it looked like it was an and one. You couldn't really tell in the arena. It turns out there was just a stoppage in play. But when that happened, me and Ben both independently said the same thing. That reminded us exactly of when Jalen Smith did the same thing against Belmont a couple years ago in the first round of the NCAA tournament as a freshman. Julian Reese is obviously a sophomore, but he's kind of developmentally like a freshman. Um, you're kind of seeing him break out in front of our eyes. He's turning into this all-Big Ten caliber. You know, he's an honor- honorable mention, but... He's turning to this all Big Ten caliber forward right in front of our eyes throughout the season. I think to your point about Jimmy Bell's foul trouble, I think that can be kind of directly correlated with uh, Kidrian Johnson's slowdown in production. Because once you don't have that post presence, as you kind of have to fall back on on defense, you can kind of hedge and push forward yeah. towards the guards. And I think that there was probably two or three possessions in between his personal tenno run and when Bell fouled out. I think that's kind of when you started to see it flip, and you started to see the defense flip, and then for Maryland, they could start feeding Reese down low. Well, I will say, um, Sam and I, we did talk about this after the game, kind of about the player that, that Juju could be. Yeah, I'm, 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 about, I'm, I'm pulling up receipts, don't worry. But, I mean, this this guy's about 10% on his free throw percentage and you know a competent jump shot away, which he had last year. Obviously, the coaching staff screwed it up a little bit this year or whatever it was. Maybe it was a confidence slash shoulder issue. Um, we've talked about that a lot earlier in the season, obviously. That hasn't been a topic of discussion since. But this guy is, is a few steps away from becoming an absolute star. But I will say, Dan Dockich tweeted this in the first half. I think it was about 10 minutes into the game. He said, get this quote, because I, I don't want to use any profanity here. He said, get this guy out of the freaking game. This is a man's game. No children. And this Reese is a child in this game. One, you're you're supposed to be, or you used to be a serious analyst. Have some respect. Yeah, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure Dan Dockage yeah, being wrong definitely. is the biggest surprise. No, def- definitely not. But the fact that he said Reese is a child in this game, I wish I saw it at the time because then I'm like, oh, Reese is going to have a, a great second half. And th- that he did, and then he proved Dan Dockage wrong. There's a reason Dan Dockage is yeah. not in the college basketball world anymore. But to, to the point about Julian Reese, you know, that's a sentiment Dan Dockage tweeted in the first half. But that's something that a lot of Maryland fans were saying last season and in the beginning part of this season. And I think it's benefited him so much playing in the Big Ten because he, like Whitwood talks about it all the time, he goes against some of the best bigs in the country every single night. May not be Stephen Crow. I'm talking more Hunter Dickinson. Your man, Stephen Crow. <laughs> I'm talking more Hunter Dickinson, Zach Eady, Trace. Um, Trace Jackson Davis, all those guys. Derek Walker. It, it's so, Derek Walker. Those matchups make you, make you better. Like, seriously, though, like those matchups make you better when you're going up against those guys night in and night out. You have no, you when you're going against better competition, you have no choice but to progress. And we've seen it, like you just said, he's really blossomed in front of all these Maryland fans' eyes. And he is a phenomenal, he's turned into a really phenomenal player. Where you trust him, if he gets a, any matchup, I don't care who it is in the post, if you're throwing him the ball in the post, you expect points. Three months ago, even, when, when he was throwing the ball in the post, Number one, they weren't throwing him the ball a lot in the post three, four months ago. But when he was throwing the ball in the post, Maryland fans would sigh and be like, oh, here here comes some stupid play or some bad shot or some turnover. That's not the case anymore. No. So his progression, his development, credit to, to Grant, the assistant coach, credit to Kevin Willard. It's been it's been really remarkable. I mean, I don't want to – I'm not going to rap too much on anyone, but this, this guy was playing behind Caduce Wahab last year. Yeah. Caduce Wahab – I mean, you know. He's not a very good player. Yeah, I mean, he just wasn't ready for the Big Ten. And Julian Reese wasn't ready for the Big Ten last year, obviously last year. Yeah. There's all sorts of extensuating circumstances that, you know, we're Which is why Willard calls it, calls it his freshman year. And I think it's fair, honestly, to call it his freshman year. I think we kind of rolled our eyes when he said that. We're yeah. like, okay, he's just kind of, you know, setting up in case he performs poorly yeah, to yeah, kind yeah. of cover himself. But 
you're actually kind of seeing it that he has progressed like a first year player in the sense that he kind of started out just playing well against the the lower teams, but perhaps that shoulder injury bothered him a lot more than we realized at the time. And as he's healed from that, and as the competition has increased, his play has bettered. And I mean, I don't know exactly who's going to be in the league next year, right? With extra eligibility and transfers and everything, you never know what the big man going to look like, but. If Julian Reese can add a reliable jump shot to his game, he could very well potentially be one of the best big men in the Big Ten. And maybe by his senior year, he could say one of the biggest, one of the best big men in the country if he continues this upward trajectory. No doubt. And I'll say one more thing about Julian Reese, the foul trouble. I mean, he was he just wasn't in foul trouble today. He didn't yeah. have a foul in the first half. Um, and then what did he have? Three personal fouls. One of them was his first foul is one of those, you know, dumb fouls that he has 94 feet away from the basket where he's trying to go for the rebound and, and it's almost like a frustration foul. And then I think one of them was a technical as well. It was a double tech. So that shouldn't have been a technical. Yeah. Really. But, but even with that, if you take that away, he had two real personal fouls in game time. That is a big step for him. And we've kind of seen it sporadically since, you know, that Purdue game where, you know, I, I wrote that piece about him. I kind of viewed that game as the start of his ascension into this, you know, all Big Ten honorable mention, bright future type of player. Since then, it's been on and off with foul trouble. He had a lot of foul trouble in the Big Ten tournament, um, but it, it was really good to see him today. In a really physical game, by the way, where seemingly everyone was in foul trouble. The second half was a complete ref show. His matchup and Jimmy Bell played only 11 minutes because he fouled out. Trey Mitchell had four fouls. You know, it, yeah. I, I, th- I thought it was impressive for him to stay disciplined and stay out of foul trouble for the majority Perfect of the Perfect segue to what I was going to bring up next because it, it's even more impressive they did that in a game where the refs were blowing the whistle for everything. Yeah. I mean, both teams were in the double bonus. That means 10 fouls each with eight minutes to go in the second half. It was a really poorly officiated game for both sides. I don't think you can say it was worse for one way or the other, but it was a really poorly officiated game. You kind of just wish in an NCAA tournament game, the first one of the day, that the refs didn't make it about them and, and didn't call as many fouls as they did and kind of have teams dealing with foul trouble in a game that, that's with this ma- of this magnitude. But it was a really poorly officiated game. But it's, that's even why it's even more impressive that Julian Reese didn't wasn't in foul trouble. And Maryland's guards were, Don Carey was, Jameer Young was, Ian Martinez was a little bit. But the fact that Julian Reese stayed out of foul trouble and Patrick Millian stayed out of foul trouble, who, by the way, hit some, hit some huge buckets, an and one and a jumper with the shot clock winding down, um, the fact that those two guys stayed out of foul trouble, that was pretty pretty important. Yeah, I mean, I, I also want to give credit. We, we forgot to say it with when we were talking about Jameer a little bit earlier, but Jahari Long, he pretty much recorded no stats. He took one shot. I think it was at the end of a shot clock, and it didn't go in. But for him to kind of steer the ship, and he's obviously not going to be the go-to guy, but for him to come in for Jameer for an extended period of time in an NCAA tournament game, he doesn't normally get in for more than, I don't know, 12 minutes a game or so. For him to come in and kind of hold his own out there, keep Maryland afloat and run the point pretty effectively, Kevin Willard has the whole year, the whole year he has been saying about how much he trusts Jahari Long, and everyone's kind of been like, yeah, you know, you can trust him, but he's obviously no Jameer, but he didn't outplay Jameer today, but I think that his minutes were crucial to them getting the win. You could have very easily seen someone come off the bench uh, first real NCAA tournament experience and turned the ball over a bunch of times. And he just did the right thing, and that was just doing the safe thing. He made the safe passes, didn't force shots, and uh, I think his play was incredibly important. Yeah, good point there. I also just want to bring up real quick Ian Martinez, who was in foul trouble today with four fouls. You know, he's been he's been really good at points this season. He was really good hitting three threes at Penn State in the regular season finale. These past Three games he scored four points combined. He's taken a little bit of a step back, and then obviously the foul trouble again today. I, I, think I, I, I was just about to say, I know what you're about to say. I think part of that has to do with the better play of Don Carey and him, taking, him yep. taking the majority of his minutes. Yeah. Um, so you're not going to need that from, from Ian as long as you're getting that from Dom, which I think you can now count on yeah, from this I mean, point forward. But I, I think it's definitely something worth bringing up. There was that, a point in time where they were legitimately splitting minutes. like. Just not even splitting. Carey played eight minutes. Yeah. At, Ian at Martinez started yeah. a game earlier. Yeah, so there was yeah, there was a couple times Don Carey was completely benched in the second half, and Ian Martinez was playing more minutes. But after that, it was kind of they were going to split minutes, and whoever had the hot hand, um, they were going to go to. And and credit to Don Carey. I mean, we've talked about it time and time again on this podcast. But credit to him to not get not lose his confidence in the slights when he had a really bad season. Maryland fans were getting on him hard, and he didn't lose his confidence in the slights. And when it matters most in postseason play, down the stretch of the regular season, he's been red hot. I mean, he's been shooting the ball phenomenally, and that's kind of what Maryland expected when they brought him over from the transfer portal. And maybe they want to, would have won a few more games on the road in conference play if he had been like that all season. 
But still, he's shooting the ball incredibly well. So you don't even need to go to Ian Martinez when he's playing those type of minutes because he's also a pretty good defender. I mean, he, I think Ian Martinez is a better defender, but Don Carey has pretty good defensive principles. You're not going to see a guy blow past him too much. He's usually in the right help positions. Uh, so, so that's a big factor too. I mean, just kind of anecdotally, I can say that from my perspective, for the first three months of the season, every single time Don Carey shot the ball, just mentally, from what I've seen, I would just be like, he's not making it. Yeah, and it felt like he lost confidence, but yeah. he somehow gained it back. And now when I see him pull up, it's like a guy who is a 40% yeah. career three-point yeah. shooter. And I see him shoot, and I'm like, this guy's the best shooter on the team, yeah. and I expect it to go in. And I'm sure mm-hmm. he's been expecting it to go in the whole season. And like you said, it's incredibly impressive that he's continued to keep that confidence up. And the whole year, he's been saying how... He's trying to do everything else on the court, and if his shots aren't falling in, he doesn't want that to define him. And he, he's continued to do that while improving his shooting, and now you see why Kevin Willard brought him in, and he provided a huge boost. Yeah, and, and <laughs> shooters go through slumps. It, it happens. It's, it's part of basketball. It happens to the best shooters, but the, the, to maintain your confidence and keep shooting, which is the mantra that every shooter has, is just keep shooting. To do that and, and bounce back and play like the he is now, it's really impressive. Yeah, it's a valid point. Earlier in the year, he was kind of the guy who went up with the shot, and you're like, no, 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 yes, if it went in, or no, 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 no. Um, but, you know, he, his back, to Emmett's point, you're confident if, in every time he shoots the ball. He's, he's taking smarter shots, too, driving to the hoop, too. Um, he's kind of had that mid-range, too. Didn't see that today, but he's developed it a little bit towards the end of the season. And he's not really forcing from three. Um, he's taking smart shots. And I will give him credit on the defensive end before we move on. He did have the highest individual defensive rating on Maryland today per stat broadcast. They have that little analytics tab there. So uh, give him credit there as well. So let's go down the stretch of this game here. It really felt like in the last few minutes this game could have gone either way. You didn't really know which way it was going to go. West Virginia leads by three with about four and a half minutes left. And Dante Scott, who to his credit and Hakeem Hart's credit, two seniors, two guys who have been in the NCAA tournament before, have won a game game in the NCAA tournament back in 2021 um, when they beat UConn as the 10 seed. These are two guys that really stepped up today. And, and they weren't phenomenal. Um, they weren't the stars of the game necessarily in the way Julian Reese was, but they had timely buckets. Um, they were great defensively, especially Hakeem Hart. And those two guys deserve a lot of credit. But to that point, it was Maryland trailed by three with four and a half minutes to go. And Dante Scott is left wide open on the left wing and just drills a three. Ties the game up from there. Hakeem Hart makes a layup to give Maryland the lead. And they really never looked back from that point, even though West Virginia made a slight push. But the play of the game for me was, it was Jimmy, it's a, I think Maryland was down, if I'm having this correctly, I think Maryland was up three. And... Um, yeah, Maryland was up three, 59 to 62 with around three minutes left. And Maryland has the ball. They run a pick and roll. Jameer Young is trapped. And it is a perfect trap by mm-hmm. West Virginia. Like they've done all game, blitzing these screens, trying to put him in a difficult situation. Jameer Young turns the ball over, somehow ends up at midcourt. And I don't even know, it gets jumbled in West Virginia's hands. Then it goes to Maryland's hands. Then it's, it's back to West Virginia's hands. Then it's in Maryland's hands again. It's a pass. I don't even know the sequence of events, but it's a pass to Julian Reese. And Julian Reese just dunks it. And if, from there on, it felt like, all right, Maryland's going to win this game. Like, things were just going right for them down the stretch in a, in a tournament setting where it's like you never know which way it's going to go. Yeah, the, the the little pinball player talking about it, I was yeah. uh, I, I was all over that one as well. That was crazy. I, I wish I had the video in front of me. That ball probably deflected like five times before it landed. Landed, and uh, obviously Juju had the open dunk there. Um, things did go right for Maryland down the stretch. I, I will give you that, and I think – that out-of-bounds call where after the long review where they kept it with Maryland, I was getting texts. I was seeing on Twitter, like, there's that's got to be West Virginia ball. I think Maryland did get a little bit of a break there. I, think I thought that be, I think Jameer's fingers, I think we'd be Yeah, I think we'd be remiss not to bring that up. I think, so, I think it was such a tough call. It, it was. It was. you got, you got to stick with what's on the yeah, floor, like, Yeah, and it wasn't an egregious call. No, no doubt. Like, it was too hard to overturn that. No, definitely, I agree with you. I, I think we had we had to bring that up, though. It just seems like the breaks down the stretch, to your point, yeah. with the deflection, and that included went Maryland's way. And, and Maryland was in control down the stretch. You know, West Virginia did have the ball down three. Um, you know, went instead of you know going for the quick three or the, or the quick two, they took 20 seconds for the, mm, they for the gave two them, down they the gave stretch. gave them a wide-open layup yep. just to let them have it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so things did go Maryland's way down the stretch, to your point, Sam. Um, it, it is crazy to think this crazy game of runs that Maryland – actually ended up being in control for the final, you know, two minutes or so and, and didn't relinquish that lead after it took it um, with 3.41 left to go um, after Akeem Hart had, had the uh, go-ahead lap. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to say if we're nominating plays, 
I think one of the biggest plays, and I don't think it ended up resulting in points. I think West Virginia ended up getting the ball back. But when Dante Scott, with about 40 seconds left, took a shot that would have made it a two-possession game, mm-hmm. it was short. It was from about the right wing or right corner. It comes up short, and you're like, oh, man, West Virginia is going to have a full shot clock here to try and tie the game. Or they're, if they score a basket, they're going to have enough time to get a stop and win it. And it comes up short, and Dante Scott is right there. He followed his shot. He grabbed it. Those are the things that Dante Scott has been missing this year. When people get on Dante Scott, they're saying he's not doing the little things right. You know, he's not shooting the ball well. He didn't shoot the ball well, and he was there. He didn't want his career to end. You know, he, he could come back next year, but he didn't want his career to end yeah. in that moment. I, and seeing that hustle, it was it was motivating, honestly. Yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up that play because the irony in that play is, is West Virginia had so many points off of putback opportunities and second-chance opportunities. And they, they had 16 offensive rebounds. Maryland only had eight. Like, that's what Maryland was getting killed on, especially from the physicality standpoint, is that West Virginia was just crashing the glass and Maryland didn't have an answer. But when it mattered most, it was Maryland was the one that got the offensive rebound that was most important. And, yeah, you're right. Maryland, Maryland was only up three at that point. So that was a really key possession. And Dante Scott came up with a huge offensive rebound in kind of an ironic way based on how the game was going. But another thing, just another bounce that went Maryland's way, and it just felt like everything went their way. And a game that close, when when it's going to come down to the wire between two evenly matched teams, everyone knew how evenly matched these teams were. Everything needs to go your way down the stretch, and it felt like it did for Maryland. No doubt. Um, I, I will say um, we've seen early on in, in deficits this year where Willard has used two timeouts early on, and, and it's helped Maryland get back in the game. He only used one in the first half. It kind of helped him claw back, and once Dante Scott got that rebound, um, he called a timeout. Um, I don't think it was Maryland's final timeout, but who knows if that first half goes a little differently. Maybe it is. Maybe it screws up the, uh, the ending to the game there. Um, but, yeah, Maryland didn't score there, but it took, took some necessary time off the clock. Definitely very meaningful play. Um, that that Emmett brought up for sure. Yes. So down the stretch there, um, Maryland, Maryland, uh, West Virginia trails by three. They have the ball uh, with about 15 or so seconds left, and they take a long possession. And instead of shooting a three to potentially tie the game, they go in for a two. But it takes a while. It's a basket over Julian Reese. So Maryland's now up by one, and West Virginia inbounds, or there's West Maryland's up by one with four seconds left, and. They, they, there's calls that West Virginia calls a timeout. They get into their press and they get Julian, excuse me, Jameer Young in the perfect spot in the corner where exactly where you want to trap. And it looked like Maryland, West Virginia had a perfect trap opportunity. They were going to force a jump ball, potentially force a turnover. And it looked like the ref was about to call a jump ball at one point, but he calls the foul with four seconds left to send Jameer to the free throw line. Jameer Young makes the first. Maryland's up two. Jameer Young misses the second. West Virginia has a chance to come down. Half-court shot. You thought maybe this was going to be an insane March finish, one of those classics. It glazes the front of the rim. Maryland escapes by two. It was just an absolute classic March Madness game, especially to open, open the entire weekend. But... Look, Kevin Willard won his first game as Maryland's head coach in an NCAA tournament. And this is only his second NCAA tournament win. He's, he was a coach at Seton Hall for 12 years. He was five tournament appearances at Seton Hall. They they only won one NCAA mm-hmm. tournament game throughout the entire time. He's already matched. In year one at Maryland, he's already matched how many NCAA tournament games he's won. Depends, if, depends if you want to count that last Seton Hall game. He might have already been the Maryland coach. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, true. I will, I'll, give him, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there to... You know, the point of Turgeon in that 2020 season where that was by far his best team. I think Seton Hall finished that. Let me get a quick look here. Top 10 in, in the country, I while want to say. Look, while you're looking that up, you know, just think about an alternate reality where Kevin Willard and Mark Turgeon are playing in the national championship yeah. game. And they're both at their respective schools. Kansas would have something to say about that that year. Yeah. Seton, Hall, Seton Hall would have been a three seed that year. So who knows what would have happened there. It was also funny because like, even Mark Turgeon admits like, He's like, yeah, maybe I would have. My career would have been different if I had that year, but also maybe I wouldn't fired a year earlier. Maryland so. was was fading down the stretch, but let's not get off topic. Too much. <laughs> yeah, don't don't get off topic here. I will say about that last play, um, just to go back to one of the points I made earlier in the episode. I think we got to give Kadrian Johnson on West Virginia a lot of credit when Stevenson was quiet, when Jimmy Bell was fouled out, when Emmett Matthews was hurt. By the way, yeah, um, he hurt his shoulder. He was out for most of the second half. I think he was put in towards the end there. It's kind of a desperation play by Huggins and throw, throw another big body out there. He finished with 27 on 8 of 13 shooting. 27 was a career high for him. If that shot is maybe one inch north and one inch you know west or one inch east, give or take, um, he can end up as a, as a March legend for, for that moment in 30 points in a, in a career game there. So I don't want to lose sight of his performance, but 
just just a classic March finish, fellas. Classic March game, and I'm happy we were able to witness it in person. Yeah, I mean, we had different views of it. First of all, NCAA, let's figure that out for Saturday. But uh, we had different views of it. But from my perspective, when he let go of that shot, seeing him make all those shots earlier, I could have sworn that ball was going in. I, I had already, too. I was already just, practically writing the story about how Maryland had lost. It was scripted lost. for a classic half court March finish, like. Nightmares of Corey Lucius entering the minds of uh, yeah some, something along those lines. How many times have you seen in, in these March clips, or even just any college basketball games, that last free throws missed? Not too many times, but the half court shots made. It just seems like it, it happens it, more often than yeah. any other time during yeah. the season. Yeah, I, I think Myron Medcalf, uh, ESPN writer, had a great tweet during the game. He's like, Maryland fans, like, I don't know how you do it. Like, you guys are strong. I will say, if that shot went in, it would have been Maryland's like third buzzer beating loss in the NCAA tournament in the last fifteen years. Like. It would have been pretty brutal. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't. I don't. know if the fan base would. At least Maryland fans Maryland. aren't Arizona fans. Yeah. Yeah. But True. no. No reason to talk about what if because Maryland, Maryland. Maryland escaped. The shot did not go in, despite if it was close or not. Um, and Maryland escaped. Maryland's on to the round of thirty-two, and they have an opportunity to go to the Sweet Sixteen. And look, if they if they escape Alabama, which we're going to talk about Alabama, it's, <laughs> this is going to be the hardest game they play all season, or they have played all season. But if they somehow escape um, Alabama, the path is there to make a very deep run in this tournament. But we're not going to get ahead of ourselves because Maryland's in the round of 32 now. The trip, chance to go to the Sweet 16 on the line. It's going to be a Saturday game. Game time has not been announced, but it's going to be right back there in Legacy Arena where we were earlier today. Maryland's really good, guys. I mean, they're the number one overall seed for a reason. They finished I mean, Alabama's the year. Alabama's really good. Oh, excuse me. Alabama's Maryland, really Maryland's good. Maryland's pretty good, too. Maryland's decent, but Alabama's really good. Maryland's finished, good. Alabama's really good. <laughs> they finished the season 29-5, and 16-2 in the East. In the SEC, they easily get a regular season SEC title, and they just steamroll through um, the SEC conference tournament to a SEC conference tournament title. This team, this team doesn't really have any holes. Um, they they score the ball at will. They're averaging, I believe, eight, around eighty-two points per game, which is sixth in the entire co- uh, country, and it's only second in terms of power conference teams. This team doesn't have any holes. Their offense is so prolific. Nate Oates is a phenomenal coach, and what he's done to Alabama to make them relevant in basketball in the last couple of years, where where everyone wants to see the basketball show, not just the football show that's going on down in Tuscaloosa. It's been so impressive. But this team in particular, um, and we'll talk about Brandon Miller. We'll talk about a lot of things with Brandon Miller, but but maybe just, not everything. But just in terms of his on court production, um, he's he's the he's the guy. He's going to be a top five pick. Um, in terms of talent, he should be a top five pick um, in the NBA draft this this, this June. There's, what can you say about this Alabama team that makes them so special? I mean, it starts and ends with Brandon Miller, and, and he's dealing with a groin injury, we found out after the game. Um, maybe that was an excuse for his uh, his poor performance today. Who knows about that one? They played 19 minutes, so they were he, keeping yeah, him out. They something. were keeping him out, probably preserving him for you know the upcoming matchup with Maryland. Um, he had zero points. He didn't score today. He was over five from field, over three. However, you know, despite all the outside noise, this guy is one of the best players in the country. I'd argue top three, and some people could say he's the most talented, most elusive, you know, Kevin Durant-esque player in the country, which I, I don't have a problem with either, as as dominant as Zach Eden, Trace Jackson Davis has been. You know, he's he's the train that, that gets this Alabama, you know, or he's the engine that gets this Alabama train rolling, excuse me. Mark Sears, the uh, the transfer point guard from Ohio, he's been excellent coming over. Not enough can be said about him. Um, interested to see that matchup with him and Jameer and, you know, Alabama's game plan for Jameer as well. Um, because, like we've said, that book's been out for these past three games in postseason play. Um, I'd expect Jameer to play better in that game as well. But, yeah, starts with Miller and Sears for sure. Nate Oates, obviously a great coach, a great defensive coach. Alabama's third in the country in uh, adjusted defensive efficiency. This team's a wagon for a reason, guys. Um, and they're, Alabama's eight-and-a-half-point favorites right now per DraftKings Sportsbook. Ken Palm has it a little closer. Ken Palm's got a 74-68 Alabama win. I think the books are probably factoring in. That's not a, a neutral site game, though. I mean, that's going to be a, a true home game for Alabama. Yep. I think uh, the best hope for Maryland fans in that regard is that Auburn's winning right now. That game will be decided by the time this comes out. But if Auburn wins, maybe you get the petty Auburn fans. I would never discount the pettiness of the Iron Bowl rivalry uh, to show up and root for Maryland. You're being a little optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, You're fishing. You're fishing. I'm looking for anything here. But uh, I'm also interested to see, obviously, the guard play and Brandon Miller. They're outstanding for uh, Alabama. I'm also interested to see how Pringle performs uh, down low. He had a huge game today. I mean, Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, I, I would expect Maryland to steamroll them as well. But he had 19 and 15. Um 
with Julian Reese performing as well as he has recently, um, I think that could definitely be something to look forward to. Um, what you got to get out of Maryland is that you have to have the same Julian Reese you had today. You have the same Dante Scott, maybe even better. Hakeem Hart, Don Carey. You got to get that Jameer Young from earlier in the season. If Jameer Young plays anywhere close to what he did today, Alabama's going to run away with this. Yeah, and, and, and even if he plays really well, Maryland might not be able to win, but to have a chance, you got to have a great game. And I think you wrote it in one of your stories, Emmett, um, where you were like, guard play wins in March. Like, you have to have great guards, and your guards have to outplay the other guards to win in March. And that's what makes Alabama so great. Mark Sears, Javon Qu- Quinterly, those guys are so great in, in open space. They're great shooters. I mean, um, what's Mark Sears? Mark Sears is shooting 36% from three. Javon Quinterly is shooting 34% from three. And Brandon Miller, who's not technically a forward but has every guard skill you could possibly imagine, is shooting 40% from three. So I can't see Jameer Young and Don Carey possibly outplaying um, Alabama's guards. You know, like, it, their guards are just so phenomenal. And you said it, like, Jameer Young is going to have to have a phenomenal game. Mm-hmm. And the book's kind of out on him. I don't really know what the answer is when, when they're blitzing these screens, when they're being so physical with their hedges on these screens. I don't know what the answer is. But like you said, Alabama is a phenomenal defensive team. And Nate Oates is going to have a great game plan, like these other coaches have the last few games for Jameer Young. And, and the only way Maryland somehow advances is if Jameer Young has one of his best games. Because it's not just going to be Dante Scott or, or Hakeem Hart. Um, this Alabama team is just, they have weapons everywhere you go. And even if Brandon Miller doesn't play well, like obviously it was, it was a very weak opponent they played today. Brandon Miller has zero points, 19 minutes. But there's so many other guys that can pick up the scoring load for him and pick up ball handling responsibilities for him and, and just and do everything that he does so well because it's such a deep roster and there's there's so much depth. I, I, I think this, this is going to be a juggernaut of a game. Like, I don't, this is the best. Maryland's played UCLA. They played Tennessee. They've had some really tough conference matchups. They've been prepared for this through their conference and non-conference schedule. But Alabama's the best team they've faced by far all season. The only way they win is if Alabama's ice cold and Maryland, who's a very inconsistent and streaky three-point shooting team, gets incredibly hot from, from deep. But we really haven't seen that all year. And you mentioned earlier, how funny would it be if Maryland, who's been so bad on yeah. the road all season, won a nine in, com- in conference play on the road, Indiana in the Big Ten tournament was technically a road game. They lost a big part, I believe, was because it was a road game. This is going to be a road game for Maryland. It's going to be Birmingham and Tuscaloosa are less than an hour drive apart. It was packed today with Maryland fans. That was for a one six. Excuse me, with Alabama fans. That was for a one sixteen matchup. It's going to be a complete road game um, for Maryland. But how funny would it be if somehow their their one road real road win all year is in this moment? Objectively hilarious. And look, I'm I'm here to say like it's been a really successful year for Maryland, regardless of what happened Saturday. I'm also very very happy that. The national media and everyone who's picking West Virginia because Maryland can't play away from home when it was good on a neutral floor this year can stop talking about that. Thank you very much. Um, Alabama is the third best perimeter defense team in the country. Uh, their opponents shoot 28.3% from three. And like you said, Maryland's not, not a great three-point shooting team, Sam. Have improved recently. We'll give him credit. And I think Don Carey's kind of spearheaded that. Um, he's at, he has at least three threes in five of his last six games. Um, so you're going to need him to have a big game. You're going to need Jameer to hit some threes. Dante and Akeem got to hit some threes. Maybe one from Ian Martinez. Um, it's going to take an all-out A-plus-plus effort for Maryland to be Bama. And I agree with you, Sam. Bama's, it's going to have to be like a, a B-minus effort for Bama to match that, too. Well, here's, here's a scenario where Maryland could potentially come out on top. And that's... We don't have to get too much into the details, but with everything going on in Alabama's program off the court, and the fact that they're the number one seed, and the fact that Maryland is kind of playing with house money, and Alabama's playing essentially on a home court, all of the pressure is on Alabama. And if they start slow, yep. and Maryland starts hot, and their fans start groaning, and they start to feel the pressure, maybe Brandon Miller's not playing too well, or he's playing hurt, and he's trying to force it. Maybe, just maybe, they get frustrated. And maybe all this noise that everyone's been waiting to catch up with them and hasn't yet maybe this is the game now yeah there's I mean, it's, it's, you never know it's a reasonable um assessment the only thing i would say is you know when all this stuff came out brandon miller scored 41 points the next day right <laughs> like, my, my, my my prediction would not be that's going to happen yes. i think that's just the scenario yeah, where maryland just for, could win this which game. is why it's going to be such i mean obviously what we're talking about is is um a player on alabama um, a former player on Alabama murdered someone, and there was um, 
trying to be sensitive about the topic, but um, Brandon Miller was was allegedly had gave the gun um, to the Alabama player that murdered. It's not clear how exactly it happened, but but uh, he hasn't been criminally charged. But it is it has been reported that that he was involved with this murder in some capacity, allegedly. So that's what everyone's talking about. And there's been a lot of heat on Nate Oates in the Alabama program to, to fire, to not to fire, to uh, um, suspend Brandon Miller for a period of time. Obviously, they didn't go that route and they're not going that, that route at this point. Um, but but that that's what, what, what we're talking about here with all that pressure and, and all the noise surrounding this program. And there was another report today that, that a walk on on the team had some involvement with the murder as well. That was reported by the New York Times. Alabama completely denied that. But that, that, that's what we're talking about when, when we say all this outside noise coming in. But it hasn't it hasn't affected Alabama yet. Like they haven't been phased by it once. So I don't know why they would be now all of a sudden on Saturday and essentially a home game. The only thing is Brandon Miller potentially being injured. That could be a big thing. Yeah. It doesn't really have to, anything to do with that outside noise. But that could be a big thing if his groin is, is really bothering him. Obviously, he'll get every treatment he can in the next 48 hours. But if his groin's a serious problem, that could be a path for Maryland to win. But even with Brandon Miller at 50%, this Alabama team, is their, their star power is just everywhere. And I don't see how Maryland's going to stop them offensively. I mean, we all remember the game two years ago in the NCAA tournament when Alabama just rained threes on yep. Maryland and blew them out in the second round. It's a very similar situation, yes. except there's fans this time. And those fans will be in favor of Alabama. The thing is, this Alabama team is much better than that team. Mm-hmm. That team was great. This Alabama team is a juggernaut. I think this Maryland team is also better than that Maryland team. I agree. I think the difference, the disparity between the two teams yeah. has oh, grown. Maryland's on like an NCAA tournament like vindication revenge tour right now. Beat West Virginia. That was for Mel Trimble in 2015. Uh, he got hurt in that game. Yeah. No no real backup guard. All, all credit to Jalen Brantley. Um, his, his ball handling and playmaking skills weren't near uh, what Melo brought there. So revenge for Mello, revenge for uh, for Aaron Wiggins uh, Saturday against. Alabama. I don't know if it's revenge because Maryland had no shot in that game. I don't think anyone. I'm being I'm being I'm being facetious, anyways. But you 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 get my drift there. Yeah. And then so, potentially, uh, would it be Duke in the uh, semifinals, right? Duke in the final four, yeah. Revenge for uh, oh, yeah. 2001. Yeah, exactly. But, but but seriously, is there any like other than the outside noise, which? Could get to Mer- which could get to Alabama. I don't think it does think, at this yeah. point. It, it's 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 been so long that the questions just keep coming. And at this you point, know, it's just got to be outside noise. Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree. With yeah. That. So so other than that, is there any path where where Maryland can win this game? The only thing I see is Maryland just gets you know it has one of those crazy March games where it's just lights out from three and somehow Alabama's really cold from three for for forty minutes, which mm-hmm. is it's very unlikely, which is why the line is eight and a half in Alabama's favor. Is there any scenario where you can see where Maryland um Maryland can somehow upset Alabama? No, I think that's the most likely one to Emmett's point before talking about uh Nick Pringle, the the backup big for Alabama. Talks about how deep they are, the fact that he had what, nineteen and fifteen in an NCAA tournament game and he comes off the bench. Charles Bediaco, very talented sophomore, uh, big for Bama. I think he was a five star, if I'm correct, uh, back in the day. Um, you know, he was he had four fouls today. He only played 16 minutes. Maybe there's a path where Maryland gets him in foul trouble too, and Julia Drees can eat up to your point. But I think the only way Maryland can truly, truly get a win here is, is kind of that that shooting mix um, that you talked about, Sam. I mean, that's the perfect recipe for any upset. Um, and Alabama's just. Not only deep, like these these guys coming off the bench are like legitimate like starter caliber players yeah. too. I mean, I mean, how many points do you think Jameer Young and Don Carey? How, how many points do you think the backcourt needs to combine for for Maryland to win on Saturday? 35, 45. 35. I was 40, gonna say Jameer himself 40, yeah. might have to have near thirty if yeah. Maryland's gonna go toe to toe with Alabama. I mean, Jameer will have to have at least twenty, and then you have to have three or four threes from Don Carey. And I think it goes back to our our X fact, not our X factors, but you know our most important players to Maryland success. It's your seniors, Hakeem and Dante. We're good today. You need him yeah. to do that again against Alabama because if you're if you're not getting anything from either one or the two, it's it's over. I mean, you can yeah. forget about it. The one thing I will say about Alabama and how, how weak they are, or excuse me, how, how strong they are, but one of their weaknesses is their turnovers. I mean, they, they turn the ball over 14 times a game. And sometimes that's just like laziness and sloppiness and just carelessness because their offense is so prolific. And sometimes in transition, they'll just be lazy with the basketball. But they do turn the ball over more than, than they should. And that's kind of one of their weaknesses. And you kind of expect Maryland to press to try to force some of those turnovers. But at the same time, they have such great guard play and such great ball handlers where it, 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 it'll be really tough to, to really 
make ways with your press against an Alabama team that has as great guard play as they do. But if you can somehow force a lot of turnovers from Alabama early and, and somehow have an early lead, which Maryland never seems to do, especially on the road, maybe you have a chance. I don't. I don't know. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a really tough thing. You're playing the number one yep. overall seed for a reason. In their home state, you got any? Uh, you got any synergy stats on Alabama against the press? No, I, ha- I haven't. Get, I haven't get, looked get, up. Get, get those. Get those in the preview for the, for uh, for me specifically. You can just you can just text them to me. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll try. I'll try to. I haven't dived into the film yet. This is just based on watching Alabama <laughs> all year because I watched a lot more yeah. than I did West Virginia. Yep, no doubt. No doubt at all. Do we have any predictions? Oh man, yeah. I'll, I'll start my prediction. I don't think Maryland's going to win this game. Um, I think eight and a half is probably a pretty reasonable spread. I think Alabama wins this one by eleven. I think Maryland stays competitive. Um, we might see a little bit of the the slow starts that we've seen, you know, on the road or neutral. Maybe I don't think as bad as today because Maryland's got its legs underneath them now in this NCAA tournament, neutral side environment. Nerves are gone. Should be playing with the house money. Um, but Alabama's just the deeper team, the more talented team in every aspect. They have, they'll have the best player on the floor as long as he's ready to go in, in Brandon Miller. Um, I just think Alabama's going to be too much down the stretch. They'll be able to, to pull away in, in the last uh, eight minutes or so. I'll go Alabama by 11. I'm not sure I could analyze the game better than you, but I'll say Alabama by nine. I think that I think that this game, it, it will be close at points, but I can definitely see a scenario where Alabama kind of pulls away pretty early and kind of holds a lead from there on out. Well, yeah. to your guys' points, I think if, if Maryland does get up to a, cl- uh, a good start with kind of playing with house money and Alabama, the number one overall seed in front of its home crowd, all this outside noise, all the pressure, maybe you could get to him. I think that's the one thing we, we got to keep an eye on there is the first four minutes of the game, which has been so important for Maryland on the road all season long. I think that'll prove true on Saturday more than ever. Yeah, like you've seen, we've seen it on the road all season where they've gone down early in those first four minutes and they've been able to come back. They will not be able to come back with a poor start against Alabama. They're just too good, too talented, too deep. Um, I, I kind of agree. I, I have Alabama 75, Maryland 66, so Alabama by nine. Um, this would be a miraculous, miraculous upset. If, if they win this game, it'll go down as one of the most impressive upsets in history yeah, this, basketball. This, Kevin Willard will have a lifetime contract. Yeah. Let me say, if, if Maryland wins this game, if Maryland wins this game, you could talk about that 2010 ACC championship. Grievous, Jordan Williams, obviously that team is special. Eric Hayes, this would be probably, it can, year one, everything considered, the upward trajectory of the program on, you know, in the balance, if they win this game, it could really take off. This this could be the best moment since Maryland won the national title in 2002. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, they went to one six yeah. Sweet 16 in 10 years under Mark Turgeon. Yep. If Willard does it in his very first year... They'll build a statue. Yeah, it would, it would it would be between that and the 2010 AC Championship. I think uh, the recency bias and just everything being on the up with a new coach, I think this would, this would be that best moment and in, they'll, in they'll 20-something become, years. They'll become America's team because everyone's rooting for Alabama to lose... Yeah, but, but like we said, that's a massive, massive if. But if they do somehow pull it off, we're not going to talk about it, but there is a, a really nice path to get to the Final Four from, from that Sweet 16. But nice path for Alabama. Yeah, it's going to be a very nice path path for Alabama, assuming assuming they pull it off. But that game is going to be Saturday. Uh, we don't know the exact time yet, but you can um, you can book that for Saturday at probably some point in the afternoon, maybe early afternoon, maybe late afternoon. You'll have to stay tuned with Testudo Times to look at it. Um, but we appreciate everyone listening, and we'll talk to you next week when maybe maybe Maryland's moving on to a Sweet 16, or maybe uh, their season's over, and we'll recap the entire season.